This is the Abrazo's Lounge Podcast, your source for everything iRacing, including race reviews, driver interviews, opinions, discussions, and much more. Here's your host, Mike Ellis. Welcome to the iRacer's Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacer's Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Chewy Side 55, Carlos Fonseca, Brad Miller, Lance Gentles, and special guest, Zach Novak. How you doing, guys? Good. How are you? Good. Doing good. All right. Well, uh, Zach Novak, I, I haven't met you, but I decided to figure out who is the guy that we've been trying to be all season long in the NASCAR iRacing Series Open. And I went and looked at the uh, point standings, and uh, guess what? Zach Novak is uh, position one in the point standings. So that's uh, why you're here, Zach. Uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, we do have some questions and stuff. When did you get uh, your start on iRacing, and how did you hear about it? Um, I started February of 2012. I was actually uh, at party for the Daytona 500 that year, and uh, one of my friends from real life racing actually had iRacing and he was uh playing on it he was having fun everybody was kind of surrounding him with it and uh i found it super interesting so um at that time i was fairly young so i asked my parents if i could get if i could get it and uh it just went from there all right so how often do you race then pretty often um i don't have much time to much other time to uh go do stuff so i just kind of sit inside really a lot and uh just play it's it's what i like to do um and racing is definitely my favorite thing of uh anything i can choose to do during the day so it's daily is what you're saying yeah <laughs> all right and what kind of hardware do you have like as far as wheels pedals and uh how many monitors um, I just got a simple one monitor, um, not too big, nothing special. Um, I got just the stock DFGT pedals and a stock G27 wheel. Nice. Okay. And do you run any third-party software uh, like TeamSpeak or Voice Attack or Dash stuff or button boxes? No, just... The general TeamSpeak, which a lot of iRacers use at this point, or uh, some of them use Gamebox or whatever, but uh, I find TeamSpeak the best, and my whole team uses it, so it's it's an easy way to communicate with everybody. Okay. And we, we talked uh, at the top about the NASCAR iRacing series. Are you part of a team over there? Are you running by yourself, or what? Yeah, I've uh, been a part of a team the whole season, just about. Uh, I recently switched about month ago or so um the zero gravity racing before that i was with torque racing the whole season and um you know all the guys at torque racing that came and gone they really uh helped me out with that nis points lead so yeah and looking at your stats uh 2016 has been a good year for you um your i rating has jumped you're at 68.88 uh that's pretty well up there congratulations Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely um, definitely high up, but it's taken a lot of hard work and dedication. As you can see, I have a lot of starts on here, so it's uh, definitely taking its toll. 
Well, that's good. Uh, and do you target the NASCAR iRacing Series Open, or are you running the fixed as well? I didn't even look at the fixed points. Are you running over there in points? Um, yeah, I started off this season with just NIS Open. I was just aiming to get a decent points finish in the Open. And, um, you know, I was just running fixed for fun. And I noticed I was up there in the points about week 10 or so. So I'm just going to run it every week just about and, you know, see if I can win it. If not, then, you know, I didn't really set my goal to uh, win the NIS fixed points. So I'm not too worried about it. So if I can win it, that'd be awesome. But it's it's definitely not uh, my goal at this point. Okay, so... It's, so the open is where you're serious, and are you working on setups? Are you practicing, or are you just racing? Um, I definitely put in a lot of uh, a lot of practice. It's probably anywhere from maybe five or six hours to can go up to ten hours a week on the setup. Um, definitely not the primary primary setup builder, but uh, you know, I got people helping me and such. I'm just mainly the driver. I can make changes if I need to, but Right. And uh, the other thing I noticed, you know, as far as the points go over there at the NASCAR iRacing Series Open, your point lead is significant. It's uh, over second place, who's Jake Nichols, and then Dylan C. Jones in third. But second place, uh, you got like 400 points, you know. Yeah, I've, you know, I've really spent time on working on uh... – we we spend time on pit strategy a lot of the time uh, and make make sure that we can at least be somewhere decent on you know the last restart if we get one so um you know if, if we don't have the best car one week or even a top 10 car in some weeks uh we just really go for a gamble and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and we've it, we've been able to get really consistent finishes out of it and it's really helped us out in the standings well i yeah there's a couple standings that jump or you know some numbers that jump out at me 22 of the weeks are counted out of those you did 20 top fives and i think that's really where you got it out of those you have two wins but i think it's really the 20 top fives that's where you're getting that point lead yeah um that tracks like atlanta early in the season I definitely did not have a good car at all. I was running like 20th or something. And uh, we pulled off an amazing strategy, and it got me a top five there. Um, and same thing with, with New Hampshire. So it's just, it's really just being there at the end is it's the most important thing about it. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, let's talk about, you know, what are your aspirations going forward? Uh, your numbers, you know, indicate that you should be going for a black license. That's definitely the goal. Um, I think if I can put my mind to it and really uh, put in the hours of practice, I think I can have a good shot at it. But uh, it's it's not an easy field to get in, especially this year. Uh, you have a lot of the guys dropping out of DWC who um, should be able to get their license back. And then... Of A-class drivers this fall, we have a very strong class, so it's definitely not going to be easy. But I have confidence in myself that I can, uh, you know, get up there and run with the big guys. 
Well, I'm certainly uh, impressed, and uh, you know, we're we're all in this team trying to to get into the top ten or however far up we can get. I was top twenty last year overall in the NASCAR iRacing series, and that's what I uh, that's my best accomplishment there. Uh, Carlos, I see you're running twenty third right now in the in the uh, same points in Division One. Well, it'll go bye bye this week because <laughs> of Bristol. Yep. Right. Uh, one other thing uh, on the stats I wanted to point out, too. Uh, starts, 54. Uh, yeah. I, think I looked down the list, and the only one with more starts is James Fox 3. He had 58. But uh, you're making most of the starts, it looks like. So you're doing the early morning ones for the Europeans, too? Um, well, yeah. In the beginning of the season, I really started off just doing every race I possibly could. And then at this point, I just... I, I want to get the Wednesday races in every week, and then um, that base is off if I do Friday. If I get good enough points Wednesday, I really don't feel like I need to do Friday. So I just, at this point, it's just depending on what points I get on which day, because that's really the whole goal at this point, is just getting decent points every week. Right. Well, you know, I certainly uh, recommend you to try for that black license if you can. I mean, your number's are really good compared to a lot of people we've talked to on this uh, this program, this podcast. So your winning percentage overall, 17%, uh, which is an incredibly high number. And then another stat I'm going to point out, your 2016 winning percentage is 27%. Um, so you're winning 27% of the races you're entering is what that means. But, uh, man, that's pretty good. And... Uh, I think I see you can easily get to the black line. I don't. I don't want to say it's easy, but I, I think you belong there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it's just it's just a matter of you know going for uh, wins in every race uh, possible. But when it comes to uh, you know series like NIS and uh, you know going for black stripe, especially uh, if you're going for the points. You're going to need to just run for points. Uh, I've learned that this year in NIS Open that I'm not too worried about trying to win races all the time. You know, I, I went for that one win that I really wanted. I wanted to win a race this year in NIS Open. And uh, after that, I've just tried to get as many points as I can every week. Right. And, you know, talk about the competition you're facing. Um, you're obviously first split. Uh now, occasionally, our, some of our team members, we, we get into the first split, and, and we always hear these horror stories of the people in there and how they act and how they race. And Do you have similar stories? I mean, what do you say about the people in there that you race? Well, the guys in the top split, they're definitely very competitive. Uh, they, they do not let you go easy. Um, it's, it's, it's a really... Like, NIS Open racing in the top split is a really good way to train yourself if you want to go for pro. That's kind of why I decided to do it. So, um, I've learned a lot, especially racing with the top split guys. They've, they, they race incredibly hard. It's, it's incredibly hard to beat them. So, uh, you know, you have the guys coming from DWC, uh, a, a lot of the weeks. Like, uh, you know, guys like Ray Alfala, Dylan Duvall, etc. And it's really hard to beat them, and I, I rarely get to beat them. So it, it trains you, and it really helps you, you know, 
work on your driving skills and your setup setup uh, ability. So it's it's really helped me, and I think that um, you know going for pro is definitely an option now. Right. And do you track points outside of the system, like uh, you know figure out what your drop weeks are and stuff like that? So do you have any idea? how the points are going to shake out when they pull the drop weeks out? I've looked into it recently. Um, I don't really remember what exactly it would be. I know that my points lead would shrink a little bit uh, from what it is now, but I think I'll still have around 200 or 100, something like that, if it were a drop right now. So. It's really hard to track that because you have to track your competitors too. Yeah. You, know, to really, you have to know what their drop weeks are. So uh, I, I've tried to do that, and I haven't really found an easy way, so I kind of ask people who are interested in that. But um, I wish our racing would get better with their data and their stats uh, so we could, like, dice it like that and figure out, you know, oh, this is what it's going to look like after drop weeks or do some projections or something, you know. Yeah, or if we could, like, um, look at a certain person's serious stats, like you would highlight their name or whatever. Like it does for um, your own profile, and then that'd be a lot easier. Right. Well, hopefully the new user interface will have some of that. So, well, Zach, uh, perhaps we'll talk to you later in the season. We'll we'll certainly track your progress uh, on the point lead. Uh, we're certainly watching as Carlos tries to make his way up into the top twenty. There, uh, I think I'm over on the second page, uh, still clawing my way to the first page. So. Next, we have uh, the uh, peak, the peak antifreeze series, and uh, it turned out to be just as exciting as uh, what the real race was, with a uh, last corner bump and run kind of thing going. Except uh, P.J. Sturgis didn't hit Michael Conte. Uh, quite hard enough to really wreck him but he got him off the track and uh, got around him but I, I believe tire strategy and uh, pit stops were uh, part of the key in that but the top five were PJ Sturgis Nick Ottinger Michael Conte uh, Jack Sturgis and Logan Clampett did anybody else watch that uh, race yeah I did and you know what? Conti is awesome, man. He he was the class of the field, but PJ kept him honest, and PJ actually had newer tires, as you alluded to there, as they come up to the end. And it looked like Conti was going to hold him off, and if, you know, PJ was just race him like, you know, like Mark Martin or whatever, he you know, he was going to win it. But like you said, he moved him out of the way. I thought it was brilliant. It's classic NASCAR, okay? Move him out of the way on the last one. lap, the last corner, and win the race. Because he ended up smacking the wall. But still he, finished P3, so not bad. Yeah, and okay, so when Tony Stewart did the same thing at Sonoma, nobody was yelling at him, you know, for dumping yeah. Denny Hamlin and winning, you know. Yeah, that's that's true. And, and not only that, but, but Conte took the line in there that basically said, if you're going to pass me, you're going to move me. I mean, he took the line. Well, so. yeah. I mean, he did what he should have done, you know. Right. Walk, you know, take the line away, and and uh, and he knew he was a sitting duck because he was on older tires, you know. 
Yeah, and even yeah. Michael uh, went in the chat uh, for the live stream, and I think even in his interview, he uh, explained that you know he knows it's racing. He knows that PJ is running for points. He knew that PJ was going to do it, so he he just kind of prepared himself for it and tried to not wreck himself in the process of you know being moved. Yeah, he Conti had the inside lane on that second to last corner. Well, both last corners, and and really, yeah, it kind of forced PJ to kind of make that move, and he didn't get into him very hard, but it was enough to get by. Yeah, it looked like uh, Michael kind of slowed down a lot going in the last corner, but at the same point, you have to understand, like, some people didn't understand that he has to brake early because he has all those laps on the tires. He has to brake early to make the corner. Like, he's not going to make the corner without um, without breaking that early. People thought, you know, he had brake-checked PJ or something, and it was all Michael's fault. See, that's the exact same defensive line I took uh, the uh, on the race that I won last week, was uh, that low line through that last corner. And uh, the, the guy that was uh, following me, to his credit, he did not put the bumper to me, but he very well could have. Yeah. He wanted to race you clean, you know. Yep, All and I, I appreciate that. Move me or getting wrecked the next race. <laughs> yep, you, you you have that coming too. Uh, the point standing, you got PJ Sturgis, uh, four hundred and seventy-one. Ralph Fala, four sixty-eight. So that is a very very tight battle right there. Jake Sturgis, you got to go down to four oh four. So there's a little bit of a split there. Uh, Dylan Duvall and uh, Chris Overland, top five. Got Kenny Humpy, six. And you know what? A couple things. Timmy Hill running mid-pack, you know, and people like that that are just kick butt on these road courses, it just shows you how stiff the competition is, you know. Uh, we see it on the ovals, but, boy, these guys can race on road courses too. Yeah, I wish they had uh, uh, a little more training for road courses because that's my real downfall. I went into last week just dreading it, or the week before, I guess it was. I just don't know how to keep tires on the car. Oh, what a night and day difference it was between uh, first and second split. I ran uh, the, uh, the one race that I won was second split, and I, I stopped twice, uh, had no issues mostly, except for that last few laps, and went in the race. And then I went over to the the uh, first split the next night and just got lapped twice, three times. Yeah, all of a sudden you're lap traffic instead of the winner, right? Yeah, you've got uh, you've got guys like Conti, and uh, Conti wound up wrecking out. But um, one of the one of the black strippers won it, and I expect nothing less. Those guys are magic. Yeah, I'm always very impressed by you know fast the, these guys are getting around here. So, you know, a lot of guys actually like kind of dread racing those kind of guys, but and I won't say I want to do it all the time, but every now and then. It is really fun to race with those guys just to see and know how fast they can go and see what they're doing, see where they're braking. See, you know, you, you can learn things. It's not just you're getting your hind end beat. You got to take it as a as a learning experience. Yeah, I learned how slow I am. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's exactly what I did that uh, that following night. I started near near last and uh, wound up racing my way up into the top 15. I think I finished 13th or 15th. I'm not sure. But uh, I count that as a win, racing against guys like Bose and, and Ottinger and, and uh, Conti. Well, you got good points, even though you didn't win, right? Uh, the points weren't that great. The I rating bump was uh, significant, and uh, I'll throw that all in the trash this week and every uh, do Bristol. All right. Lance, what's up next? Oh, we got the uh, GP series at Indianapolis results. Um, Kroenke is having a, uh, Martin Kroenke's having a hell of a year. He's uh, really putting it to Hutu. Um, Hutu has always been the guy, but uh, Kroenke uh, came away with the win, and um, he's still got a, a pretty, well, it's it's a slim lead, uh, 404 to uh, uh, Hutu's 397. So it's definitely uh, still anybody's championship to win. Yeah, he's really stepped it up his game for sure uh, to, to challenge Hutu. The other thing is the pass for the lead was on track, actually, uh, which is kind of odd. Usually it's during a pit stop rotation or something like that, but he did it around the outside into turn one, apparently. And they're saying they had quite different setups, and that was really uh, like one car had more downforce than the other kind of thing. Yeah, usually those guys get out there and it's it's follow the leader and like you said, it's uh change change of positions happen on on pit road and less so on the track. But uh yeah, hand it to uh Gronky. He's uh he's really sticking it to Hutu this year. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the standings right now and I've noticed that Martin Kronke has twelve top fives and twelve starts on the season with six wins. That's that's insanely impressive, especially when you're racing with, uh, I guess we could call uh, the the greatest to run in the uh, road DWC series, uh, Gregor Hutu. Yeah. Yeah, Gregor, Gregor until this year has been all but unstoppable. Well, remember how many things changed this year. Dynamic track, uh, new F1 car, you know, that uh, DRS and all that. Yep, true enough. Some people, you see they, uh, see it's affected more than others. Yeah, and sometimes in real life uh, racing and stuff, you'll see a car change or whatever, and somebody gets, you know, goes from winning multiple races a season to doing nothing. I think it's still impressive that uh, Gregor is able to win races and finish well with, with this change. It hasn't really affected him all that much. He just went from insanely dominant to he's got a competitor now right yeah a couple of years back in uh at real f1 um <clears throat> they uh they changed up some rule packages and red bull went from being a dominating car to uh mid-pack and it's been all mercedes ever since actually now that i look back um in 2014 gregor only won the point standings by about 10 points over Martin, so he's actually been a competitor for the past three years, so he's he's been impressive. Oh, without a doubt. Um, good luck to him. I hope he, I hope he snags it. It'd be nice to see some uh, new blood in, uh, in champion circle at the end of the year. Right. Yeah, and one of the things about the real racing is uh, uh, there's some other teams now that are starting to uh, to come through, uh, I can't 
think of the fellow's name now, but he runs in iRacing. Uh, I think he's a German. Oh, Max Verstappen? Yeah, Verstappen. That's it. He is uh, He's going to be somebody to be dealt with here very soon. Yeah. Yeah, and doing it in uh, one of the teams that's uh, notoriously less than successful now. Right, right. Uh, we've got some other things here. Post that was put on the forums of please turn off the auto clean on the racetracks. Uh, uh, I, it doesn't really affect me, and I don't know if I don't pay attention to it, don't see it, or that I'm just all over the place and it doesn't matter anyway. But uh, one of the staffers, Daniel Garrison Jr., he, he uh, put in a reply to that comment and uh, said that auto clean is on because it was thought that any respectable racing series would clean off the marbles and debris before uh, the session starts even on road courses uh, goes on to say why aren't more marbles created he says there's no easy answer but part of it may be that tires aren't losing enough rubber some cars uh, come to mind the DW12 definitely are not wearing away the tires quickly enough he says they are working on it but uh, taking more rubber off the tires during a stint creates um, other side effects that must be considered what do y'all think of that I, I, I don't know that it, it really has affected me all that much as far as the the marbles now where I run as far as when we get in a long NIS race and, and the groove starts wearing in and, and, you know, top, bottom, middle, that kind of thing affects me. But uh, I haven't had that much of a dealing with feeling like that I got up in the marbles. What do you all think? They're not existent as far as I'm concerned because they clean them every caution. So you, they never have a chance to build up, you know. And during the 24-hour race, I'm not sure if I noticed marbles either. Yeah, there was definitely some marbles out there in the 24-hour race that I saw. Okay. Maybe my graphics aren't in a, configured in a way for me to see them. One thing I did notice, though, with, uh, with the tires in general, is the only race I've seen a lot of rubber come into play was Bristol, the uh, full-length race earlier in the spring. That was because it was a daytime race. Everybody was running one line. And that's the only time I've ever really seen a lot of rubber come into play with with uh, having to change your line and maybe a different line being faster. Yeah, I've definitely seen them at some tracks um, where where you get a really good long run. But yeah, as soon as that caution comes out, they're gone. And I think uh, between sessions, that's realistic, even at a road course. But um, between cautions, you very rarely see... Uh, somebody out there cleaning the marbles yeah once or twice a race at the most but it certainly isn't every caution right i mean they do it you see them do it at nascar tracks whenever uh whenever there's debris on the track or oil dry but um you know that's that's only a caution after a serious accident other than that they just they let them go and we've seen indycar you know do that as well you know bring out the sweepers you know, on a caution with like 25 to go at Detroit to try to clean it up a little bit. So they have a nice, good run at the end, you know. But they don't do it every caution. So 
I understand why people are saying, hey, we want to see the marbles. And it sounds like Daniel Garrison is almost saying, hey, we're working on it. It doesn't feel like there's enough rubber coming off the tires, but we got to be careful. That's well, a new thing, too. You've got to consider that. It, it, dynamic tracks really haven't been a thing for that long, and it's going to be a work in progress, as all things are in iRacing. It evolves over time, and eventually it'll get more realistic, and you'll start seeing more realistic marbles. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you've ever been to a race at Bristol, uh, they don't clean the track off every time. But when they've had a good long run and there is a lot of marbles up on the top of the track, uh, you see them. As, as the fan, you'll see the top of the track looking dirty as crap. And they will clean the track off then. But uh, you turn so many laps at Bristol really quick, even under caution, it, uh, it, it, it takes away from the fan experience. We want to see them racing, not them cleaning off the track. Well, Bristol's a track like uh, like Dover. It's a concrete track, so whenever you see them going around and laying down a line and laying down rubber, um, you'll see that develop on the track, and then whenever they go to a caution, they'll roll around and they pull all that stuff. The tires on the race cars pull all that stuff off the track. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. All right, so marbles. Uh, Lance, what's next? Oh, you got me behind on my list here. Um, so you've got uh, a question about field size. And the original post is, according to some people in the forum, while uh, real-life NASCAR has 40 driver fields, the NIS only has 32. Just asking, why is that? Well, a couple notes on this thread is, I thought it was interesting from a historical perspective is why did they start at 32? What is the real answer? Does anybody know? Uh, or is it arbitrary? And, um, you know, why aren't we at 40 by now? My guess on that as, a, as an IT technician would be server stability. More cars equals less server stability. More packets to transmit, right, too? Absolutely. But I think now with... Uh, a lot of people having direct fiber to the home and and um, server capacity being being upgraded with iRacing, um, it it is time to go up to uh, full car fields. Well, I chimed in and agreed with the op of the forum and uh, post and said, "Yeah, let's go to 40." And while we're at it, let's add NASCAR overtime. You know, that's overdue as well. Uh, <laughs> hey, look, it's the most popular series in iRacing. Let's treat it that way and live up to the name. After all, it says NASCAR right in the series name. Absolutely. I'm in agreement with you on the, uh, on the overtime. Um, I you, uh, there's been some times where I've benefited from uh, a race ending under caution. Um, but I, I tell you what, if we're going to be, if we're going to call ourselves, you know, sim racers, let's sim the whole thing. Right. And, Let's get, I want to see a sweeper out sweeping the marbles. You know, let's put a sweeper on the track. <laughs> ah, that's eye candy. I can live without eye candy for now. I'll take, yeah, the, I'll I'll take, take that later. But let's get NASCAR overtime. How hard could that be? You know, that's a coding thing. I miss those old uh, EA NASCAR games like on the PlayStation where you could wave to the fans under yellow. <laughs> oh, that's all eye candy. 
Yeah, it was. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that said, no, we don't need to increase it, you know, from 32 to 40. And there's other people uh, that say yes. I also said, of course, uh, like I always do, there's too many full distance races for no reason. We need to get this reduced back to big events only. Or at least start a whole another series for full length the entire season while keeping the regular NIS. You'd have four people in that series. Yeah, I know I wouldn't do it. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I like it the way it is, except that they have too many of these long distance ones. They got to, you know, tone it down to where it was a year ago or, or even before that. Relating back to, um, you know, with the 40 cars, I think it really adds the perspective of going for top 20s in races because, um, you know, with 32 cars, a top 20 not all the time is a very good finish. So I think it really adds the perspective of going for, you know, a finish like a top 20 or a top 15. It really adds the uh, real-life feel to it when you're going for the best finish you possibly can. That's huh? why. Right. Yeah, I agree. All water. Whole fucking thing. Hey Kyle, what's up? Hey. We're recording our podcast here, so. Oh, I didn't realize my mic was open, sorry. Alright, well, uh, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, what, who's next here? I am. <laughs> you are. How about that? Uh, okay, so this little tidbit came up on the forums, and somebody asked, you know, can we share the reference or a ghost card during test labs, like to a friend or a teammate? Can I email a file, you know, or whatever? And so David Tucker from iRacing chimed in and said, yes, you, you can do this, and this is how you do it. You need to get a copy of the .blap, B-L-A-P, and the OLAP, .olap files from your documents, iRacing, lap files folder, and place them in your own lap files directory. Then you can load them up from within the settings tab in the sim. Once loaded in the sim, you can select it by cycling through the delta time modes with the tab key. So you just basically copy those two files uh, from one computer to the other, uh, you know, from one person to the other, and stick it in there, and you can load it up and actually see it, apparently. So would you guys use this in any way? Could we use this? I'll say no. It's definitely something that you you could, you know, use as um, the helper because um, it might be easier to kind of follow something when the ghost car, but in, in the same perspective, I think it's just easier to do a run with somebody and just try to follow what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Like Tyler Hudson, you know. Email me over your OLAP files and your BLAP file, and I'm going to try to see if I can follow you around the track and learn. Yeah. Now, now for somebody like um, maybe if you're not friends with them or whichever, see if they're willing to do that. And uh, you could probably learn a lot from it, from, you know, seeing what they're doing. And you can't really run into their car either. So if you make a mistake or whatever, it doesn't uh, ruin it, I guess. Right. Well, it's interesting. I didn't know you could do that, so I wanted to bring that up. Okay, next we have uh, connection issues, and I am eat up with these. 
it's, this is a thing from uh, iRacing. It says they're look, they are looking at uh, to do some targeting testing uh, to help diagnose this issue. Uh, they would like about a dozen guys, preferably, who see the Q-Bar issue a few times and who, be, who would be willing to share their IP address so they can run some specific tests uh, with you in a session. Uh, I may have to send them a thing saying I would do it because when I enter a, a, a practice before, say, like the NIS race, if somebody comes in, my uh, S-Bar goes nuts, my Q-Bar goes nuts, my frame rate will go down to about four, all the cars will disappear, and then within a few seconds, it'll clear back up, frame rate's up to about 110, and everything's fine except it'll start dropping the cars in place, and I am actually probably 100 yards behind where I was when everybody disappeared. It's kind of really weird to see and do and I have been in practices before and went you know 15 minutes in there trying to turn a lap to see where I stand and I can't even get a full lap in when it when it does this it won't even count my lap it just I can be I can have turned 15 laps and it'll say still lap one. So are you getting disconnected though? No, I'm not getting disconnected. Okay. But, That's, uh, so your issue is a little bit different than what this thread's about. This thread is when, for people, when their Q bar goes red and they're getting dumped, like completely disconnected. And okay. that's what they're looking at right here. Now, I don't know if that's related to what you're experiencing or maybe you're experiencing the same thing but not to the same degree, you know. But this is ongoing. This is the same thread we've talked about the last three weeks, I believe. Um, and I just left it in here because it is ongoing, and we just wanted to keep talking about it because uh, I think they're still looking at it. Now, they, he has gotten some volunteers from what I've read, and uh, they've looked at it, but I don't think there's been any conclusions yet. Um, some of the users are still saying that the signal's bouncing uh, to uh, Europe if you use the third-party uh, internap, which is one of the, like, uh, level three is a, is a third-party kind of middle-of-the-road middleman in the Internet. So you have your ISP is like Cox or Xfinity. That's the ISP. But then you have a middleman like Level 3 or like this this one they're talking about called Internap. So apparently if you end up on the Internap middleman, that's when the problem is, is what people are saying. Okay, I thought it was talking about what I was having. And mine's directly related to people joining the session. Once the race starts and everything, everybody's in there, I'm good to go. Yeah, I've had... Sorry, oh, you can go. Well, still, I, I, I wouldn't hesitate to um, share your your IP with with iRacing. They're, they're not going to give that to any third parties or anything. There's no danger of, of uh, security issues. Not with, uh, not with a big company like them. They're, they're pretty straightforward and they're not about to uh, screw anybody over on your IP. So if there's anybody out there listening that, that has hesitation about sharing your IP address with iRacing, there's not going to be a problem with it. They already know your IP address. So. Oh, absolutely. But uh, they have to have permission to use it. Yeah. 
I've uh, I've actually had issues uh, similar to what Brad's had with people joining the session. It just my S bar, I believe it is, just freaks out, and I'm gone for you know five to ten seconds even. But uh, one thing I've noticed with the Q bar issue is uh, it happens for certain regions at some points. Like uh, I'm in the New England region, so sometimes I'll be in a race and it'll happen to me, and then I have a few friends who are also from the New England region, and if I'm racing with them, they have the same issue. And it, like anybody in that same race generally has that same issue if they're from the same region. So that might be some tie to it. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on where you connect to the grid, um, the worldwide grid. Uh, it, it's it's iffy though. I think uh, I think you'll find that uh, some of these guys that are having issues are also running stuff like uh, BitTorrent. Yeah, let me turn off my downloads and see if it works, right? Are you pirating bastard? All right, well, more to come there. Uh, they're still working on it, and they got some good people working on it. So I feel I feel confident, that, and part of the reason we're talking about this is so people know, hey, you're, you know, they are looking into it. They, they know there's a problem with certain people having these connection problems, and they're working on it. So hang tight. Definitely been something since the build, though. Uh, I've only noticed this ever since the what was it season three build? That's the last build that came out. It definitely has increased since that build. Yeah, yeah. But um, with the issue that Brad was explaining, um, and I've had as well, I've only noticed that since this past build. So I don't know uh, what they changed that made it increase or made it start happening in the first place, but. It's definitely something they could probably fix. They just need information from people. Right. And that's, as an IT technician, that's the first thing you do. Whenever you find out that there's an issue, uh, you immediately go back um, into the logs or what have you and find out what was changed prior to this issue. What was the last thing that was changed before you uh, started experiencing this problem? And 90% of the time, that's the problem. There's tons of things they've changed over the last 12 months. I've actually had my connection issues since the September build 2015. That's when mine started. But since then, they've replaced the hardware. They've replaced their ISP. They've replaced literally the, all the hardware, you know, the networking and the computing, you know. And so that's all new hardware, you know. So they've done a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah, and when you talk about changes on an enterprise level, um, that, that first step is awful hard to track down, um, especially when it comes to server side, because things change all the time. It's, it's hard to track down those issues. But I have confidence. They have a good IT staff, and uh, they'll get on it. All right. What's next, Lance? Uh, we got uh, patch notes. Um, looks like they didn't change a whole lot with uh, this last patch. They uh, they fixed an issue that was causing delay and in getting uh, incident points. But the most uh, the most uh, the worst bug that they fixed was looked like a endless pit stop if you made tire changes during refueling in certain cars. And it looks yeah. like it's the GT cars and the uh, like HPD. The yeah, the whole Proto GT uh, 
category, really. That's all pretty much all the fixes were for. Yeah, so I guess if you change a tire pressure while you're uh, while you're on pit road, you're on pit road for the rest of your life. So they had to put out a fix, really, to fix that series. Now, I thought when I saw this, I'm thinking, boy, it's pretty late in the season for them to be putting out a patch release, you know. But I guess it makes sense if it's a big bug like this. So do you ever drive back by your own pit again, or is it just going on forever? It just never releases you. Yep, you got the little stop paddle in your face for uh, the rest of human existence. Ah, okay. All right, moving on. Uh, one of my favorite iRacing employees, David Tucker. Uh, I follow some of his writings in the forums, and um, there was a question about, and interestingly, Carlos and I were talking about this the other day. Um, there's a he's talking about the correlation between frames per second and hertz, as far as uh, the frequency of your monitor display. Okay, and so I'm going to read a little bit about what he said here and see if it makes sense to you here. A better workaround is to make sure that the tear does not show up in the same spot each time. That way your eyes will have a hard time seeing it. You can achieve this by setting your render rate to some number that is not cleanly divided by your monitor's refresh rate. So, Carlos, how does that work in real-world terms? You have a hundred, like, well, you were saying you can't run at six, your monitors are 60 hertz, right? Yeah. So you run your frames at a, not at 60, right? You run no, it at I, a I different number. I do it right at 60 because if I, hell, I tried a whole bunch of numbers here. I tried the stocky, you know, default 84, and it looked like 40. And yet I go to 60, and it looks way smoother. And again, like I said, something to do with the doubling. I go to 120, and it looks just as smooth as 60, which is a good thing, really. But hell, I can't run any other frame rate without it being, it looks weird to me. Drives me nuts. Like 75, again, looks like 40. Right. Like so, um, magic so number. Let me reread this to make sure we're getting this right. It says, you can achieve this by setting your render rate to some number that is not cleanly divided by your monitor's refresh rate. So he's saying don't use 120 because that is cleanly divided by 60, right? Yeah, but it look, looks fine to me at 120. It's just any other number between 60 and 120 looks weird to me. He says, in other words, if you render a 60 frames per second with a 60 hertz monitor, you'll end up with a tear line that appears relatively stable on the display. You will not have much trouble finding it. But if you render at 120 frames per second, you'll end up with two tears that are relatively stable, but only show up every other frame. However, if you pick a number like 73 frames per second, then your tear line will move about from frame to frame, and you will hardly notice it at all. So he's just saying use some oddball number when you yep. put your frames per second lock on. Now, if I use 73, again, it looks like 40. <laughs> That's just, so instead of 120, run 126 or something or like something that. Or something odd, yeah. Actually, I did more testing, and it's not just 120. I can run, like, 110, and it'll look just as smooth. So I had to, I did, like, a, I spent, like, two hours messing with this, trying to figure out what I could get just right. 
So, yeah. Well, yeah, this is a little over my head, but I wanted to say it uh, out loud to everybody because if you're having problems, you might experiment with your FPS and, and setting that at different numbers. Okay, Brad, what's up next? Uh, we've got uh, the truck series. Young man named William Byron. And if you watch the truck series at all, you know this guy is on fire because he is, uh, I, I think, a rookie. And yeah. he is absolutely, I think he's won, what, four races so far? Five. 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 Okay, so I'm behind. But uh, sponsored by Liberty University. And he does drive for Kyle Busch Motorsports. So he's in good equipment. But still he is uh absolutely doing great and uh somebody sat down with an interview uh with him and uh they asked him what the dumbest movie ever did was and he said uh one time i went through the grass of the infield to make a pass and uh kind of started laughing about it and he had done that on iRacing. racing so uh he goes on to talk about iRacing racing a little bit and says that uh it really taught him a a lot of racing etiquette, I guess is what we call it. You know, things to do on restarts, restarts or not to do. And uh, how to not put yourself in a bad position, say, with uh, three wide and uh, things like that. And it's kind of really neat to find out that um, young guys and us old guys uh, are are learning things like that on iRacing that somebody is actually applying to real world uh, things. Yeah, and you know he's eighteen. He doesn't have a lot of real real life uh, starts. You know, to tell you the truth, um, and and really his he he crossed over from iRacing to real racing. The way that it worked for him really was iRacing, the way that he was running in iRacing, which was really well, you know, kind of like Zach does, convinced his parents that it was worth the investment to try to, uh, you know, let's go try this as a career. And so they got him involved in Legends. But really, iRacing was that trigger. You know, they saw him doing it. They saw how well he was doing it. He was learning how to race. He learned racecraft you know, all on a computer, and then he's like, okay, so let's do this. Let's buy a Legends car and go racing, and they did, and that's led to, you know, this Kyle Busch, you know, truck ride, and, you know, five out of, you know, 15 wins or however many. It's crazy. Well, I can tell, it's awesome. I can tell you firsthand that um, that what what you learn on iRacing definitely transfers over into the, uh, well, to a real track. Um, when when I go do track days um, in my front wheel drive car, I hop in the Kia Optima and and get warmed up for it, and it really it really does help. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where you can learn literally everything you need to. Of course, you're not going to have uh, certain things like G forces, and um, you know you have the force feedback. Some most people use it. Um, but you're not really going to get as much wheel force in a real car, at least it is. 
Um, and it's kind of the thing where you learn uh, etiquette and all that, but the car, the real, you know, race car is going to uh, have all those things that you're going to have to adjust yourself to, which I think he's done a really good job with all of that. Yeah, his I rating is 3370, as they uh, indicate in the article, which is just a little bit higher than mine. That's uh, He'd be probably in my split if he's running the NASCAR iRacing series. Jump in your split with that low I rating and make you look foolish. He would, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, interesting. You know, congratulations to him on the great season he's having as a rookie. Uh, very impressive. He's obviously going to be in NASCAR long-term, you can tell already. Um, and, it, you know, it's just one of those things where the talent's really showing through. Yeah, yeah, he would be one of those guys that we would be hating to race every now and then because you're racing for second. Yeah, I'd have to say, though, uh, Kyle Busch has done a really good job with buying talent these past five or so years um, with Eric Jones and now, now William Byron. Yeah, when's the last time he picked a raw egg, you know? Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, this is just a continuation story, really, because uh, that's how Keselowski got his start. There's there's a whole lot of other guys that uh, used to use things like this to kind of hone their talents and be found. Uh, Junior found Keselowski racing on the Internet. And his spotter, TJ. Right. If I'm not mistaken, um, Dale Jr. also got a lot more familiar with Josh Berry off of here. Yeah, I'm, I'm... yeah he did. And, and there's, there's still guys that are, that are doing, uh, what, the Bush Series. That earlier this week, me and uh, Carlos were in a practice session, and Ross Chastain was out there. Uh, yeah, Bush Alan is also uh, on here a lot. Yeah, so I think it's really cool. It's it's fun to race with those guys or practice with them and just have fun. Yeah, one of my earliest memories of uh, iRacing, I've been a member now for just over five years, and I was in a truck pra- practice session, and uh, who joined but uh, Bobby Labonte, and I uh, ran some laps with him, and that was that was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, you got to love those times. All right, let's jump into hardware. Brad. Okay, this is kind of an unfamiliar territory for me, but hey guys, I'm looking into what it would cost to buy an OSW wheel. Hoping somebody could help me uh, sort this out. Uh, there's hundreds of threads. Uh, need help getting pointed in the right direction uh, where it is more simplified. And, yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. going to be honest with you, I, I, I don't have that kind of will and, and couldn't help him one way or another. <laughs> yeah, we had another listener last week actually ask that we talk about uh, OSW. Now, what is OSW? That's the a new wheel system, basically, where you build it yourself, uh, a direct belt drive system kind of thing. And um, one of the systems offered is called SimCube, and we've talked about that before, SimiCube, or is it SimCube? It's a controller, basically, that they did, uh, that some people put together and then, you know, sold it. Uh, 
anyway, uh, the next post down in this forum actually lists the price. And, uh, and there's a couple people who've weighed in on what does it cost to get involved here. So uh, what I'm going to tell people is go on the forums and search OSW cost. That's the name of the forum uh, thread. If you're interested, and there's a lot of good information in this thread, you know, as far as what does it take financially to really get this going. Uh, the bottom line is 1100 bucks is what uh, Brian Sowen from California uh, has estimated. And then add a, a, you know, a wheel for two. That's without the actual steering wheel. That's everything but the steering wheel. So another 200 bucks for a steering wheel to go with it. So you're looking at 1300 bucks is basically uh, what we're looking at. See, that's way more money than I would ever invest in a wheel. I would have invest heavily in brakes before I ever spent that much money on a wheel. Yeah, I can see brakes, you know, and I did invest in good brakes. Uh, so did Kyle and, and some others uh, on our team, you know, with the uh, main performance uh, sim PC uh, pedals, you know, hydraulic. But yeah, I agree with the steering wheel. Thirteen hundred is pretty stiff when you got some great options from Fanatec, right? No, Fanatec uh, Thrustmaster has a belt drive wheel, so I mean, you got two there in the sub one thousand dollars. If if you buy the uh, the wheelbase and and one good rim from uh, from Fanatec, you're looking at eight hundred plus. But if you get the Thrustmaster, I think it, they're it's it's about six hundred. Right, yeah, it's yeah. You can do both those options under a thousand, basically. Um, so, what do you guys think? Would you, any of you, entertain the OSW option? No. Nope. I I tell you what, I've always had an interest in hardware, and I would were money not the option that it obstacle that it would be. Right. Yeah, I would say the same thing on that. If if. If paying my bills was was never a problem or anything, then yeah, I would have some of the neatest stuff I, you could imagine. But most of us don't live like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in North Dakota, man. I got to keep the heat on. Well, you know, this sim equipment's always, you know, what's next on the horizon, that kind of thing, and. And for the last, I'd say, 12 to 18 months, it's really been, as far as wheel technology, this OSW, where you build your own kind of thing. Uh, you kind of part it together and put it together. And, and like, like you said, though, I don't know if that mean, necessarily means it's better, though. I've really noticed um, that definitely pedals are important, like you guys were saying. I'd, you'd buy um, pedals before you buy a wheel. And definitely the computer is important. Um, but I've I've had a lot of success on not top-notch wheels, I guess. Um, like I'm running with the G27 right now. This is the best wheel I've ever had, and the pedals same with uh with those uh the best ones I've ever had is the G27 pedals. And to be honest, I prefer the DFGT pedals over the G27. So I think it's just preference, honestly, with with your wheel and. Uh, pedals and such. I'll tell you, um, if you if you go to my profile and you look at uh, the little graph that is I rating, you can you can see the point in my I rating. Whenever I I got um, a load cell break 
and, uh, and my Avado cockpit. The proper seating position and um, a load cell brake where you rely on muscle memory and how hard you push the brake versus a potentiometer is night and day. And you saw, you know, actual stats to back it up, too. Oh, absolutely. You look, uh, I, I'm looking at my graph right now, and there's there's a point where it just starts um, going up, just all of a sudden. It's it's static, static, same level, same level, and then just just a spike. And that's that's the point where I got my load cell pedals. Yeah. Good pedals are awesome. Yeah, I would agree. All right, what's up next, Lance? Oh, let's see. What do we got next? We've got, uh, let's see, in hardware, we've got a GT GS4 seat for sale for $2,000. And I'll take a pass. Thanks. Yeah, I stuck this up here because I haven't seen a GS4 seat in like two years. I mean, this was real popular back then. Uh, and, and, I haven't seen, I've seen them. I haven't heard people talking about them. Uh, what this is, folks, is this. It's got little metal flaps on the inside of the seat underneath the, the fabric cover. And those are hooked to wires and whatnot, and they're hydraulic. And so when you like go around a corner, like the flap behind your, you know, your right shoulder kind of pushes into you, you know. And then the one against your right ribs, you know, pushes into you and your right buttock you know, pushes up, you know, as you go around a corner kind of thing. And so it's got this movement thing going inside the seat. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I remember seeing videos of those whenever they came out and listening to some of the testimonials from owners. And they say it translates um, uh, your G-forces rather well and actually gives you a nice experience. But $2,000, that's a lot to drop on a seat. And do you mix it with an actual motion rig like a Semax, or can you mix it? And what happens if you do mix it, you know, with actual uh, hydraulic, you know, slip angles and stuff? If I remember correctly, it's one or the other. I, I don't think they recommend putting this on a on a seat with uh, pneumatic actuators for uh, for full motion. Yeah, I kind of recall that too, and it, that makes it per. Per, uh, a really nice purchase if you're on a stationary rig and you want some kind of motion. This is a kind of a unique trade-off, as you can get the seat that has the moving flaps, you know, and and you can literally install it on your motion on your excuse me your stationary rig, you know. But yeah, two grand—that's a lot. That is. Uh, the next thing we got is the uh, Richard Tech simulation racing systems uh, the real gear c22 uh, button box now, this thing here looks really really cool um, it doesn't give a price but it says they've reduced the size but you still have all the buttons uh, they've removed some labels and things like that I guess just to make it smaller and more compact to fit racing rigs uh, this is something I, if the price wasn't out of this world, I would probably consider doing. What do you guys think? It's a nice design. They, they certainly are trying to make it more compact. Uh, they say here in their thing that, you know, it's an ideal button box to use with VR, you know, Oculus. 
Um, all metal, you know, they got the black front, you could put labels on them. I, I like the idea of a button box. I've never had a good spot to put one though, so I kind of haven't considered it personally. I have a, I have a Derek Spear Designs uh, track boss that I have on um, one of the acrylic table mounts on my abutto, and um, it it's mounted uh, right in front of my shifter. I can reach up, I can I can pick out the buttons or the switches by feel, and uh, I really like it. It's got a nice uh, carbon fiber finish on it, and uh, I've got all my buttons labeled. It's got two protected switches, and the rest of them are toggles or uh, just uh, regular buttons. Yeah, I've heard good things uh, all the time about Derek Spears' stuff. This uh, offering was Rick Motec, if that's how you say it. Uh, Rick Motec Simulation Racing Systems. So, don't have a price. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The, the price would be the kicker for me. Cool. Don't really need it, but it'd be really cool if it's not like out of this world price. Okay. Uh, next was Digital Race Engineer, which is the voice attack plugin I've been testing. Uh, he did put out a new release, and I updated, and it has not crashed when I've raced. So they fixed that. Um, it's just a matter of me getting used to it now, and, and there are some things that I want to change, but I kind of want to wait until he's done changing it, you know. Uh, for example... It'll tell you what position you are as you're going through a race. But if for some reason it doesn't say position, it says page. Hey, you're running page five. And then it'll then you you know get another spot and it'll say, Oh, you're running page four. So I I want to go into it and change the so it doesn't say the word page, but position or something more American, I guess is the term. Uh there's other kind of quirky things like that because this guy is uh, I don't know exactly where he's from. He's European, uh, but the and he only runs road course stuff. So some of the things that you hear it telling you are very European style, you know, language. That you know, I'm going to change that up a little bit. But I, like I said, I want to wait until he's done changing it, you know, and working out the bugs. But it does look promising still. You know, I still. And liking it, it it kind of is an interaction thing. It'll talk to you and tell you, like you, like I said, you know what position you're running sometimes, or uh, somebody in front of you is pitting, and you know that kind of stuff. And uh, if you're running out of fuel, you know, and that kind of thing, it, it alerts you. So we'll see. You know, I'm going to continue to try that. You know, uh, with the off week, I didn't get a lot of time on it. I ran a couple carb cup and pickup cup races, and uh, we had a couple wins with that, and and was just basically testing this voice attack plugin, and uh, so far so good. You know, I did report that there was one command that wasn't working. Uh, there's a thing where you can say begin typing, and then whatever you say after that literally types out. Uh, so you can you know type out a sentence uh, verbally, but that particular command wasn't working. So I did post up to the forums, uh, and we'll see what they do. I'm sure he'll fix it. Okay, so that's the end of our list. Let's go into final thoughts. Uh, Carlos, what do you got? Me, I got nothing, but I, no, let's see, I, we got something in the chat. 
I guess, some guy was asking about. Will Dirt have big events like the Dream and all those late model stuff? You know, all the special events that Dirt has. I guess he's asking similar to, like, Indy 500 and crap like that. Simple answer is, I have no clue. Yeah, but you fully expect something like that. If they're going to scan Eldora, they're going to have the uh, big special event nights like that. One would oh, expect. Yeah. And I yeah. think it also determines on are they going to have a dirt license or not. We've last heard indications that they were going to use our regular oval license and oval yeah. IR uh, for dirt when it initially comes out. Yeah, so which I don't think a lot of people like that idea. No, I definitely don't like that idea. I would love to see a separate uh, a separate I rating, a dirt I rating. I think they are going to do that, just not within the first part of the release. So what, you tank your IR, you know, because you want to try dirt? I'll be staying on the pavement, thanks. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Probably, I'll probably jump in there. Take a chance. Well, just do non-official stuff, you know, hosted and testing, that kind of thing. Are you looking forward to Bristol, Carlos? Or Nope. <laughs> uh, one and done, or what do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely if I can get a good finish, one and done, because past two years I haven't finished a race there. All right. Uh, Brad Miller, final thoughts. All right, we'll skip Brad. Lance Gentles. Well, let's go to Bristol and crash some cars. Hee-haw. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, Kyle, I, are you on? Do you want to have, uh, have any final thoughts? Well, sorry about the open mic there earlier, but... Well, hopefully I can do something here at Bristol with the uh, G27 pedals. I had a good run there with the sim pedals earlier this year, so we'll see. That's about all. All right, cool. Yeah. You'll be good. You don't need brakes for uh, Bristol. Just touch them a little bit to set the nose, you know? All right, uh, Zach Novak, final thoughts. Um, yeah, I was looking at uh, the uh, Twitch stream here. I noticed in the comments somebody was asking a question about uh, wing sprints and bandoleros and other types of street stocks and legends. Uh, I wanted to address that I think it'd be pretty cool if... Uh, we had different types of, maybe like the Legend car, uh, if we had the sedan, I, I know a lot of people want that. Um, and Bandoleros would also be really cool, but there's a lot of cars and such in iRacing uh, that or we would want in iRacing that we would also have to come out with a whole different string of tracks for. And, um, you know, Bandoleros, there's a lot of uh, tracks we could use, but there's also a lot of uh, different tracks we'd have to bring in to uh, complete a schedule with a car like that. So um, addressing that guy's comment, I think uh, it'd be really cool, but it'd take a, a step in iRacing's uh, progress. Yep. Yeah, I think everyone's really looking forward to the dirt stuff. And, you know, Zach, thanks for coming on. Uh, like I told you earlier, we'll probably have you on later in the season as uh, the points battle hope. I don't know if it'll tighten or not, but hopefully it's not for your case, and you can bring this thing home at the end of the year. But, you know, congratulations on the, the point lead. There was a lot of people in this series uh, trying, to, trying to race you for that, and you are the leader, so congrats on that, and good job. 
Thank you guys so much. I uh, appreciate you guys letting me come on tonight. All right, cool. You're welcome back anytime. Lance Gentle's final thoughts? Well, uh, good luck to Zach, man. Bring it home. That's right. Uh, my final thoughts is, you know, it's been a long off week. You know, I'm ready to get back to it. Um, and now that we're back to it, it, my stepdaughter is actually turning 13 this week, and we got a lot of things scheduled, uh, which means I'm only going to be one and done on the Open uh, Sunday morning. I'm only going to be able to run Sunday morning uh, the event for the Open. So, boy, I'm really nervous about getting wrecked, and I hope I have a good finish that day and, and bring home some points. So looking forward to that, and, uh, and on to Bristol. We'll see if we can get back onto page one. So. That's it. Run the apron and wait for attrition. There you go. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to us at our YouTube channel at iRacers Lounge. Follow on Twitter and Facebook at iRacers Lounge and SoundCloud at iRacers Lounge. See you on the track.